series of inspiring conversations with remarkable working women. And I am really excited today to be talking with Jenna Bryant, co-founder, CEO, and general partner at Embedded Ventures. Jenna, welcome. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. There's so much that we can talk about and will talk about, but can we just start, please, by talking about Embedded Ventures? Why did you start it and what exactly do you do? Yes, I'll give you a little bit of our origin story and then I'll go from there. Um, Before starting Embedded, um, Jordan Noon and I had been industry friends for several years. Um, We actually originally met as I began learning more about the dual-use tech space um, and how venture-backed companies can work with the government. Um, This was an area of the industry that is very personal to me because my brother is currently a a Marine Corps V-22 Osprey pilot. Um, So I've always wanted to do everything I can to help bring emerging tech and the commercial industry to our service members Cut to a time for Jordan, where after starting Relativity Space in 2015 and growing as the CTO for the first five years, um, he was leaning into um, building something from the ground up again. So the timing just happened to be perfect um, when I approached him to consider helping me turn Embedded into the venture firm that we both really wanted to see exist and become my co-founder. And what's cool is that we do have a true partnership. Anyone who has worked with us they really see this firsthand. We very much divide and conquer. Um, He's an engineer. Um, I handle more of the business side of things. Um, So we trust each other implicitly. And that's why we've been able to get so much done in a short period of time. Um, It's really been a group effort, not just with Jordan, but with our entire team. Um, And then in terms of mission, uh, we very carefully curated our mission. And what we landed on is um, you know, that our, our national security and economic prosperity is currently at an inflection point, um, making investment into the technologies that will transform static markets and, and introduce entirely new ones more critical than ever. So we take this heads on with our commercial first approach to investing in early stage startups with applications that can serve the DOD, um, integrating the space industry with the terrestrial economy. Um, and our team helps commercial and government investment incentives grow increasingly more aligned, um, which is validating our thesis in sectors that are resilient to market fluctuations. And then as deep tech founders and operators ourselves, we're uniquely qualified to find, uh, to fund and to coach the founding teams that are pushing the frontiers of technology advancements for our country. Well, you've opened up funding for a number of ventures that wouldn't have gotten funded on their own otherwise. And I'm interested in, in understanding why and more importantly, how. So the origin story for a company called Kitty Cad, um, that's a Kitty Cad with a D at the end, <laughs> is a great example um, of this. So um, a few years ago, I witnessed a conversation between um, Jesse Frizzell, who's a very well-known uh, software engineer, and Jordan Um, That kind of made my head spin. It was also a highly entertaining conversation. Um, So Jess comes from the software world where she's built some of the the core infrastructure that has made it possible for software engineers to work more efficiently um, around the world. And when when she transitioned to the hardware world, um, she realized just how behind the tools were. So she called Jordan to get a sanity check, basically saying, Jordan, is this really what y'all have been working with all the time? 
Um, and sadly, the answer was yes. So after a few hours of them ranting back and forth to each other, me sitting there listening with my jaw on the floor, um, we we all kind of had a moment of realization and that this was an area that had been completely overlooked by the venture community. And, you know, we we ultimately created a call to action on GitHub. We learned more about uh, the demand, industry impact and the, and the passion that that existed around the need for next generation CAD tools for hardware design. Um, we studied Renderman, which um, is a f- photorealistic 3D rendering software produced by Pixar Animation. Um, they used it to render their in-house 3D animated movie productions, and, and it's actually available as a commercial product um, licensed to third parties. Um, and this really led us to actually meeting our, who became our fourth co-founder, Hannah Bolar, out of Pixar. Um, and then given kind of all of our experiences um, coming together, Embedded decided to incubate what we ended up calling Kitty Cat and turn it into a venture-backed company. Um, and then in a market that had been completely overlooked. Um, so Kitty Cat is the world's first and only company to bring code to hardware design, um, leading a transition in mechanical engineering, uh, shifting from point-and-click software to modular automated reusable code. And our mission is to build the mechanical cat of the future that's fully programmable, user-friendly, uh, multi-threaded, and really fast. So I think I understand, I understood most of that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> Everything. Trust um, me, as a non-engineer, I listen to so many conversations and I say, one more time for someone like me. <laughs> well, one thing I do want to um, talk with you about is, you know, both tech and venture capital are notorious for their lack of inclusivity. And I understand that that's something that you're working on trying to change. So could we talk about that a little bit, please? Yes. How much time do we have? I feel like this is an area where I could certainly rant. Um, I always have to remind people, we cannot forget that it was only 2015 when Sequoia's chairman, Michael Moritz, was asked by Emily Chang at Bloomberg about his responsibility for the fact that his firm didn't have any women partners. And he said he hadn't been able to find any. Um, The actual quote is, he said, oh, we look very hard. In fact, we just hired a young woman from Stanford who's every bit as good as her peers. And if there were more like her, well, we'll hire them. What we're not prepared to do is to lower our standards. <laughs> and then he continued wow. with, yeah, in 2015, he continued with, if there are fabulously bright driven women um, who are really interested in technology, very hungry to succeed and can meet our performance standards, we'd hire them all day and night. So in 2015, he's saying, we're the problem. We simply don't meet the same standards set by our male peers, um, which is, you know, still gives me chills because 2015 was not very long ago. Um, And surprisingly, despite decades of diversity, equity, and inclusion progress in our country and beyond, um, most venture capital funds still have the diversity makeup that funds did 50 years ago. Um, A few staples, I believe, of this archaic makeup are um, how the industry wrongfully prides itself on warm introductions only as a recruiter. Of course, I can't stand that. Um, Access to capital, uh, GP buy-ins, and just how there are extremely high investment minimums, um, limiting the quality of of everyone's network to individuals who are just two degrees of separation away. Um, So in addition to fund managers, this also applies to 
investors who are qualified to be LPs in a fund, but maybe it's their first time investing in a fund and they're not ready to hit the minimums that have been standardized by the legacy players. I've been there. Um, and in terms of growing our network of investors and, and meeting other ambitious and qualified individuals like us who are eager to come together and back awesome companies, um, we actually ended up launching um, our opportunity fund as a rolling fund on Angelus to be you know, that investment vehicle that really brings um, a community together and a community of people that we don't already know and that aren't just, you know, a degree of separation. Um, so thanks to investment vehicles like this, we can grant access to the investment opportunities that we um, would have wanted access to prior to becoming fund managers. Um, I always have to remember, though, that, you know, luckily we are in a world where um, the barriers are being recognized and, you know, the large entities that that truly do fund the ecosystem are starting to set mandates that challenge the status quo. Um, and, you know, at the bare minimum, more legacy players are, are unlocking access to resources for diverse GPs. Um, I think the solution in the industry needs to be institutional blockers coming down. Um, and it's it's nice to see the alternatives like crowdfunding and, you know, our rolling fund on AngelList um, exist, but those don't really solve the fundamental issues in the industry still. So for people and women who are looking to start something new right now and are looking for funding, what do you suggest they do? Do they go in a different direction? Do they look for smaller upstart? Well, this is a general question because obviously it depends what your business is that you're starting. But, you know, do they look to the more legacy um, funders or do you think they should try something new? I always say take every conversation you can get. Um, really utilize the network you have um, and utilize the network that you don't already have. Create that for yourself. Um, there are so many social media platforms um, even LinkedIn. I love anyone who, anyone who cold outreaches me on LinkedIn will get a response. Um, and I love making time for founders who do take the time to write an intentional note to me. And if it's completely out of our thesis in an area that I can't invest, I'm always more than happy to connect them with whoever I might know who is investing in their sector. Um, so I always say, don't be afraid to reach out to people you don't know. Um, you know, I, I was so flattered the other day because Someone mentioned on Twitter, hey, I'm coming to LA. What fund manager should I meet while I'm there? Someone that I don't even know um, mentioned my name on Twitter. And I'm not very active on Twitter and I need to be more. I do check it though. And I was so flattered that someone I didn't even know mentioned me, you know, connected me with some someone and then what ended ended up becoming a group of women that I didn't already know. And it reminded me of, of something I'd seen floating around the internet that said, you know, surround yourself um, with women who mentioned your name in a room full of opportunities. Yeah. Um, but it is truly, you know, don't leave, uh, don't leave any conversation, you know, on the table, take any conversation you can have, be tenacious and, and reach out because it it's, you'd be surprised at how many people are, are not just will take the call, but really want to take the call. Um, and then if you're if you're starting a new business and you're looking for funding just with the current market, um, I'd say to be extremely intentional um, in how the use of proceeds from this current round leads to a multiple in your next round. Um, investors are very hesitant on valuation in the current market and really need to see a direct line of sight to potential markups and how you're going, going to achieve those. So just being very, very clear there as well. 
No, that's great advice. And I love what you said a little bit earlier in your answer, which is just reach. Like, what's the worst that can happen is somebody says totally. no. That's how I right? met Jordan. I cold outreach Jordan on LinkedIn. That's how I met him. You know, if, if I hadn't cold outreached him on LinkedIn, we would not have the fun that we do today, period. Well, we, we jumped into talking about your current role in company, but uh, you've had a really cool career path. Can we talk a little bit how you got to where you are now? Yes. Um, so I've always been passionate about both art and technology. Um, as a kid, um, my creativity and dance led me to auditioning for Beyonce when I was 18. Um, I actually simultaneously uh, loved computers. <laughs> so um, I ended up getting my degree in fashion design with a focus on computer aided design. Um, and then in 2012, during the rise of Silicon Beach, I needed a job just to pay the bills. And I ended up um, uh, beginning a career in tech recruiting and pairing early stage startups with some of the most in-demand engineers in the world. At the same time, I was simultaneously you know, working in entertainment across LA. And um, after several years, I then pivoted again um, when I received an opportunity to uh, joined an early stage uh, hard tech VC fund as a partner and helped grow and add value to the portfolio of investments that were representing the next generation of deep tech advancement. And then, you know, around that time was when I became friends with Jordan and started daydreaming about the fund we really wanted to see exist. And so here we are. So when you say you were working in entertainment, you were working as an actress and I got my start as an actress too. And I, I went to school for that. I studied it for years in junior high and high school in New yep. York. And what always, you know, sometimes I think, oh, what did I do all that for? You know, it didn't, it didn't end up where I thought it would. And yet at the same time, I find I use those skills all the time. 100%. It may, I feel like keeping the, even the creative outlet in whatever way that you can, um, it makes, I know for me, it makes me better at my job, you know? Um, I now have turned my garage into a dance studio. So um, that helps in terms of exercise and just, you know, fulfilling that creative, creative outlet and being around people who are like-minded in that way. And I was mentioning earlier, you know, there's that long standing misconception that we're either left-brained or right-brained. And now luckily we live in a world where uh, people celebrate both and, <laughs> and we can talk about it. We can get excited about it. We can post about it on our social media channels and be celebrated versus judged. So yeah, so lucky. So what, just for the fun of it, what were some yeah. of the uh, things that you were in when you were acting? Oh, gosh. Um, okay, let's see. Oh, a few things. I was on a show called Halt and Catch Fire. Um, I was on Being Mary Jane. I was on several things. If y'all go to my IMDb, you can see I'm kind of mortified, though. Um, when, when, when you say I had an acting career, you're really making it sound like more than it is. So listeners don't get your hopes up. <laughs> um, but as a kid, you know, I really didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, you know, my default answer as a kid was that I wanted to be a teenager when I grew up. And then when I became a teenager, um, I changed to wanting to be a backup dancer for Beyonce. I literally had a cardboard cutout of Beyonce in my bedroom um, and then, you know, when I chose to live in Los Angeles, which is a whole other story, I tried New York first when I was young for ballet intensive and it didn't go well. Um, so then when I came to LA, I was like, yes, this is it. But there's also so much creativity surrounding you here. It's like, you're someone like me and, and you who considers themselves, you know, left brain and right brain. It feels like you're just surrounded by opportunity at every turn. 
Um, and it's really exciting. And so um, still to this day, um, I'm a huge advocate for people pursuing careers that are free of restraints. Um, so while, you know, I was working as a recruiter and really enjoying and that and being fulfilled there, I was also auditioning and keeping my creative side entertained. Um, now with my garage being a dance studio, um, I have dance class here once a week. Um, and it really fulfills my, um, my creative side and, and it truly makes me better at my job. And we're lucky now that we live in a world where um, being multi-passionate is celebrated and we can talk about it and, you know, not be judged. And it's, it's an exciting time. It is a very exciting time. I have a question I want to ask, and I'm trying to think of exactly how I want to ask it. I guess, you know, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about, about women not being in tech and, you know, rolling into the Me Too movement and, People can't see you, but if but they, you know, this is a, a podcast, but they can Google you and you're very beautiful and oh, you're very you. feminine. Lots of makeup. Lots of makeup. You have long, <laughs> long neon nails. So I guess the question I want to ask you is, have you and have you ever found being attractive and not and and showing your femininity a hindrance to you? Because I know a lot of women feel like they can't do both. They either have mm-hmm. to be sort of on the sexy side and then they won't get ahead or they have to be very buttoned up and serious. So I've, this is actually a, a a question and an internal battle that I've had with myself for a really long time on feeling comfortable in my own skin, feeling um, feeling like I can be respected and my value um, be seen, even if I bring my full authentic self to work, um, which does have neon nails and, you know, does have thigh high cowboy boots. And, you know, I always am dressed appropriately, but I also love expressing myself through my clothing, my makeup, everything. And, you know, early in my career, which it was a different time, um, I was very insecure about um, bringing that femininity to work. Um, I thought I wouldn't be seen as, um, I wouldn't be taken seriously. Um, especially as a, as a recruiter, you know, I was sourcing, you know, deep tech engineers and very much, um, having imposter syndrome at the same time going, you know, do I deserve to be here? I know I understand this and I know I'm qualified to do this, but do they think I'm just, you know, um, using other qualities to get candidates attention, which I very much was against and wasn't doing. Um, and so I always wanted to make sure that I um, brought my best self to work, but also very much had imposter syndrome and really downplayed my authentic self for far too many years. Again, it was also a different time. Um, but I wore all black to almost every meeting, fully buttoned up. I never wore heels. I wouldn't have dared wear my nails like this, which is actually really sad that I didn't feel comfortable to be able to do that. Um, now it's luckily, a different time. Um, but also, you know, I've been empowered by the people who have done this before me and who, you know, have brought their full authentic self to work and, and put a stake in the ground saying, I deserve to be here. I'm qualified to be here. Um, I work hard. I know what I'm doing. Um, and I can express myself. Um, and so now I, I very much make a point to bring, you know, myself to work and to express myself in the way that I always, have and always have wanted to, even if I had, if 
I wasn't actively doing it at the time. Um, and I intentionally even, you know, leave some of my dance videos on my Instagram. It's not easy to do at times because I don't want to be judged and I, I want to be taken seriously. Um, but, you know, just as some people will post videos of them shooting hoops on a basketball court, why can't I post, you know, my dance videos? Um, and so I intentionally, I intentionally make a point, even if I'm questioning myself and going, ah, oh, I'm going, but this is fully appropriate. And this is, you know, this is, this is something that represents me and what you see is what you get. And I also want other people to feel that I want anyone who's joining one of our portfolio companies to, to, you know, even if they're earlier in their career and they haven't, um, it's kind of a battle they're going through. Like I did. Um, I want them to see someone like them and go, Oh, I can do that too. Because I do feel like there was a period of time where I didn't bring my full authentic self. And it makes me sad now. when I think back, cause that's a, a, part of me that I think some people find entertaining. I know it's a way I entertain myself and it's a big part of me. And, you know, a lot of people didn't get the full me for a while. So long story long. <laughs> no, I love, I love that answer. And, you know, I, I was having dinner with a group of my friends last week that we've all been around for quite a while. And, and we were talking about that, you know, bringing your authentic self, looking however you want to look, whether it's wash and wear and I, you don't care, or whether you like to glam it up. I seem to have friends that like to glam it up like I do. Yes, it's and knowing, fun. Yeah. Be, be, it's also fun be, not to, you know? <laughs> yes. But to have the choice. And that's what I think women for do. Sure. For, because it's, it's, we're talking about looks, but we're not. It's a lot more than that, you know. One hundred percent. It's what you're saying is being authentically who you are. Yep, I love getting ready. My um, my morning routine is somewhat meditative for me. So I I'll sometimes even put on a, a YouTube video and learn a new makeup trick. But it's just my time, you know. It's my time to to try new things and to get excited about my day and to prep for whatever's happening each day. In fact, today I'm actually wearing. My my Ivy Park drop just came in the mail this morning. And so I was very excited to wear the latest Beyonce Luke, even though I was going, ooh, is it? I went, is this a little too casual for an interview with Katie? And then I went, I feel like she might think this is cool. <laughs> no, I'll go, I'll I go, think she'll cool. probably think this is cool. <laughs> but I, but cool. I did question it and I went, it's a t-shirt. But then I went, oh, it's a fun, it's, I'm so, I was so excited for this to come in and to be able to wear it. But I was well, like, you look fabulous. Cool. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, I feel lucky that we do live in a different time where, um, you know, I also, and I'm sure so many people have experienced this. I also was always, um, you know, I, I only took meetings around lunchtime. I never took dinner meetings. So I was always afraid people like, and did have instances back in the day where, you know, I'd, I'd meet someone I'm thinking of as a, you know, potential work client who reached out to me over LinkedIn in a very professional manner, um, to discuss, you know, uh, potentially helping them recruit. And it's actually a proposition for a date. Um, and that was mortifying, embarrassing, humiliating, um, an awkward situation to get out of it. it you spend so much of your time and resources to, to even prepare for some, for a meeting like that. And then I felt like my time was disrespected and wasted. Um, and that was another catalyst for me dressing the way I did. And, you know, a lot of choices that I made and it's sad that back then I didn't feel like I could even, you know, go on a, go to a work dinner. Um, I always made sure it was lunch or coffee or something if it wasn't going to be at their office. Um, but we do live in a different time. And I'm so thankful for that where, um, you know, obviously there is a lot 
of change to happen, but um, there are more people changing than not. And, yeah. you know, I felt so much more comfortable, you know, I don't even think about it. And I'm so much more mature in my career to where I know exactly how to handle something like that. And I wouldn't be afraid to, you know, say exactly how I feel and make sure that 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 person didn't impact another person like me. Um, and that just came with maturity because at the time I certainly didn't have the, the, I guess, you know, emotional workshops <laughs> that I do now to be able to handle that situation. Um, and it did really rattle me now, now, if it did happen, let's go, you know, hold my beer. <laughs> emotional workshops. I'm going to keep that. I like that. I know, that's the first time I've said that. I hope it made sense. Can we both use it, Jenna? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, please. <laughs> so I want to ask you just one final thing. You've said so many great nuggets here as we oh, and we come up with and you've come up with a new word, but just to sort of round everything out, is there one piece of advice that has really helped you through your career and your life that you could share with us? Yes. Um, so Kobe Bryant was and still is you know, one of the most inspiring people of all time. Um, certainly for me, I'm not even a huge basketball fan, um, but I'm a Kobe Bryant fan. Um, and one of my favorite quotes from Mama Mentality um, is one that I think of often. And when I reflect on my career, it really um, has mirrored it in a lot of ways. Um, and he says, if something has worked for other greats before you, and if something is working for you, why change it up and embrace some new fad? stick with what works, even if it's unpopular. And that's something that, you know, I always take with me. I remind myself of all the time, you know, we can be really tempted to follow what other people are doing or fads they're chasing. Um, but stick to your gut and, and trust yourself and, and don't worry if it's unpopular. That's fantastic advice, especially in this day and age when people are feeling like things are coming at them every second and they constantly have to change. Stick to it's what hard. works for you. It's working That's for right. you. Thank you. I mean, I have to remind myself of that every day, though, especially when when you're learning something new. It's so tempting to to do things the way you're hearing other people are doing them. Um, but yeah, trust your gut. Trust your gut. Well, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, Katie, you too.